That was wonderful. <clears throat> and as I said this morning, we've got some lovely, caring relationships in this very church as well, of uh, somewhat different, but uh, the same principle of uh, couples caring for one another in their, in their latter years. So that's, um, that's a great thing. Well, uh, today is the second in our, in our six-week series <clears throat> on marriage. And uh, I want to begin by reading for us from Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 21 to 23, uh, 22 to 23, and uh, to undergird everything we're going to say this morning. So let's read that there, Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, I just pray that as we open your word today concerning marriage, that you would indeed speak to us. Lord, I pray for those couples today who perhaps feel that they have heard everything that they need to hear about marriage. I pray, Lord, you would speak to them. Lord, I pray for couples today who perhaps even right now feel on the, on the edge, that they may be near the finish line. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them. Lord, I pray for singles in our midst, Lord, who may feel that a message on marriage is somehow irrelevant to them. Lord, I pray you would have something for them as well, that you would speak to them. So, Lord, and for all of us, I pray that as your word goes forth, that you would be glorified in it and that indeed you would put something in our hearts that we can take from here that will be a blessing to our relationships, whatever they are. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Marriage, uh, the scripture there talks about marriage being a mystery and certainly it's one of the most complex relationships we can never be involved in. Also one of the, the best. We, we're in our um, 36th year of marriage this year, Josie and I. And, uh, and it's a, I feel we have a, a, a great marriage, a wonderful marriage. I enjoy being married to Josie, always have done. Um, but it is a complex thing. And it is a challenging thing at times. Because whilst Josie is perfect, I am not. And so... But even though this marriage that we're talking about today is really complex and sometimes really difficult, 
That's not a reason to avoid it. But it certainly is a reason that when we're going to enter into marriage that we do so with open eyes and, and realism. And then having entered into it, like uh, Nat and Megan, that we need to continue in our realism and understand we're going to have to work on this marriage every day of our life. And if that sounds a bit tough, a bit hard, that this thing's going to have to be worked at so diligently, well, we also need to recognise that it's, it's one of those places that's probably, it's not the only place, but it's one of the best places to, to, to learn who we really are, to grow into the person that God's made us to be and to learn what it is to love, not just another person, but to truly learn what it is to love God. That's what our marriage can do for us. And uh, I hope the singles here today that um, you realise that a message on marriage is also for you, not just in regard to any future partnership you might have, but because it's about relationship. It's about the essence of relationship. And that applies across all of our relationships, across our friendships, uh, across uh, our family relationships. We all are interacting. We're all intersecting with other people. And so the principles that are contained in this morning's message are certainly uh, for you as well. Well, last week, Pastor Carl uh, kicked off the series and talked about some things, and I just want to quickly recap on some of those things. Um, as I said, that we, uh, we learned that even though it's a challenging thing, is marriage, that it should also be seen as an, ex as an opportunity to experience the transforming love of God in our life and in the lives of others. Christ taught us that um, as married couples, we need to learn to stop focusing just on ourselves, but for the sake of our spouses, work towards mutual fulfilment. And because marriage is challenging, because it is difficult at times, those challenges can tempt us to just run away, just run away from the, the situation. But if those same challenges, instead of pressing us to, uh, causing us to run away, cause us to press into God, then we can find that there's real power to transform our marriage into the kind of love that God wanted to be. So there's hope today in a message like this for you. Wherever your marriage is at, there's hope for you that God's power is available to enrich and even transform a marriage. We, we learned about the power of marriage last week. The power of marriage is in stark contrast to the way power is viewed in the world. Power in marriage comes from mutual submission, avoiding self-centeredness and dealing with our own natural self-seeking ways. We could quite accurately say that any marriage that is not got this spirit of other-centeredness is not a real biblical marriage at all. In fact, it's, it's, a, it's an, a marriage that's going to cause pain to one, but probably to both. Because self-centeredness is a painful place to live. And God doesn't want any one of us, whether we're married or single today, God doesn't want any one of us to live in that pain of self-centeredness. But he's got a better way for us. He's got a better way for our marriages. He's got a better way for us as individuals. And that's what I want to 
delve into today. So the topic today is the essence of marriage. Well, what is the essence of marriage? Well, I think we'd all answer that question easily. We'd say, well, the essence of marriage is love. That's what the essence of marriage is. But what does that mean? Because, um, you know, one of the problems is with English, we have one word for love. We know in, in Greek and Hebrew and other languages, they have many different words about love. And we're not going to go into them today, but we know in English, we can say, I love the Broncos. I love the Cowboys. I love my dog. I love ice cream. I love the chocolate flan that's in the cafe. We can say we love all those things and we use the same word for when we say, and I love my wife. I love my husband. But we know that it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. So we want to see what the biblical view of love is. The first thing we might say is that Marriage is not just a piece of paper, but it's committed love. It's not just a piece of paper. There's a mindset in, uh, in Western thought today that says something like this. Well, we don't need to get married. Uh, I don't need a piece of paper to love you. And if we're thinking of marriage just in terms of romantic feelings and feelings of passion, then that's quite, that's quite true. Uh, a piece of paper is not going to make you more passionate, it's not going to make you more romantic. If that's all your concept of love is, then that's quite true. You, you don't need a piece of paper to experience that. But a true biblical love is more than feelings, more than passion, and it certainly is, then when someone says, well, I don't need a piece of paper to show that I love you, or what they may be really saying consciously or unconsciously, what they may really be saying is, I don't love you enough to get married to you. I don't love you enough to be fully committed to you. I don't want to put all the eggs of my romantic and, uh, and, and, and my romance and my passion in your basket. I want to keep my options open. They might be someone who can make me feel better out there. So why would I commit my passions and my feelings solely to you. I honestly believe that's what's often behind those kind of statements, that kind of a mindset. Because marriage in the true biblical sense certainly involves romance and passion. Of course it does. But that's not its foundation. The foundation is the promise that we make to commit ourselves to another person, to live in loving sacrifice for another person. That is the foundation of marriage. Not just feelings. Not just romance. So it says there on the overhead, marriage is not subjective based just on feelings, but it's objective based on truth. You know, one of the problems we have with marriage is that in our modern uh, society, we have elevated personal fulfilment and, and self-satisfaction to such a high level that it's no wonder that the biblical values of sacrifice and of other-mindedness seem so foreign and outdated. You know, when you talk to people about giving of themselves, of sacrifice, they say, well, it's like you're speaking a foreign language because so much of our culture is all about how I feel. How good is it for me? Remember the AMP ad? 
for the, for the most important person in the world, you. That's the antithesis of biblical love. You know, if we consider ourselves to be the most important person, the world's revolving around us, then of course we're going to struggle with a thing like marriage. We, we must struggle with, with marriage if that's our, our mindset. But so often people think, you know, surely life is just about me feeling good. It's just about me having all kinds of positive experiences. And duty to my spouse, duty to another person, how does that even come into the equation? What if they squash my enjoyment of life? What if they take away from me something I really love that I want to do? How can that be right? Now, this is actually the mindset of a lot of people today. Now, the truth is that we all act like that at times, don't we? We all act as if we are the centre of the universe. We all act as if we are the most important person in the world. That's true because of our sin nature, we sometimes act like that. And that's not so much the issue. The issue is when that's our mindset, when that's the way we think about life. And I hope nobody here thinks about life that way. But... It's a, that's a huge problem when we try to bring that into a, into a marriage. So how does that kind of mindset reveal itself in a marriage? If we are thinking that way, that's about my feelings, it's about me feeling good, how does that impact on our marriage? Well, let me just give one example. Um, just in terms of our intimacy as couples, how that might affect us. Some people believe that they can't give themselves intimately to their spouse unless they feel like it, unless they're in the mood, as it were. So in that, mi in that mindset, intimacy only happens when both parties are magically in tune with one another. How different it would be in that marriage if each person saw this special gift as an opportunity to give joy, not just to make themselves feel good. What a difference that would make then we don't have to wait to be in the mood, as it were. We can see, we can give a gift of ourselves to our spouse. But it's not just in this area, it's in every area of giving ourselves. That's an important area, but it's not the only one. There are many, many areas where that same truth applies. Philippians 2, chapter, uh, verse 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In our marriages, or even in our friendships, if we wait until we feel like serving, until we feel like giving, or we wait until our spouse is deemed worthy of our giving or our serving, we're going to fall a long way short of what God is talking about in love, about love in relationships. We're going to fall a long way short. It doesn't matter what the relationship is. If we're there just to get and not be so focused on what we can give, where's the future in that? Where's the joy in that? If we're just sitting back waiting to be fed, waiting to be made to feel good by the other person. There's got to be a, there's got to be a proactive commitment on our part to be giving. Amen? Next thing that's on the overhead there says that marriage is not to be a consumer activity, 
but a covenant relationship. Well, what do we mean by that? Not a consumer activity, but a covenant relationship. Well, as we've already said, the essence of marriage is a promise of sacrificial commitment to the good of another person. So love is therefore uh, more action than emotion. It's more, more will than just feeling. And the reason for that is because marriage is a covenant. It's not a consumer contract. In a consumer contract, there's a fair trade. So, you know, so I want to buy Tim's car. So I give Tim some money and Tim gives me his car. That's a consumer contract. There's an exchange. Or I've got a job to do. You come and trim my trees. I pay you. I give you a wage for trimming my trees. It's an exchange. And too many people see their marriage in that same light. But that's not what it is. In a covenant, I am valuing the relationship itself, not just what I get out of it. You see, in a consumer contract, it's all about what I get out of it. It's not, I'm not, in that context, valuing the relationship I have with the person I buy a car from. In this case, I have a relationship, but I may not. And maybe a guy off car sales. I've got no relationship. I've got no commitment to the relationship. I'm just getting something and he's getting something from me. But in a marriage, we are valuing the relationship first and then what comes out of the relationship second. Does that make sense? They're two very different things. And a lot of marriages run as if they are a consumer contract not a covenant. And that's why they struggle. You even hear people saying, and maybe you've heard uh, friends of yours or, or um, other couples say, we have a 50-50 relationship. Well, good luck with that. Good luck with that. I give my part, she gives her part. Well, look, even with near-perfect people like Josie and I, sometimes we don't have all of that 50% to give. And so there's a bit of a shortfall and in the midst of that shortfall, there's sometimes a bit of tension. Anyone else? No. What God's calling says, my commitment, my intention, my desire is to give 100% to this relationship. And the other person does the same. So when there is an inevitable shortfall, as there will be, then we can still meet. And it's not saying there's never any tension, there's never any difficulties, but we give ourselves a much better chance but most importantly, that's the way God wants us to live. Not just saying, well, if you do that for me, I'll do that for you. You know, and you hear couples talk about that. If he will look after the yard, I will... No, it's a consumer contract. You've got to get that thinking. If you're in a marriage today and you have that thinking, get it out of your thinking. Get it out of your thinking. That's not how marriage works. Well, you better do that for me or I'm not going to do that for you. That's a consumer contract. It's not a covenant. Okay, so when we come to marriage, we see there's both vertical to do with God and horizontal aspects to do with each other. And in the Bible, we see both vertical and horizontal contracts, don't we? We see like in um, uh, 1 Samuel 20, David and Jonathan had a horizontal contract. It was a contract between two guys. 
We see in other places in the Old Covenant, we see God's got this vertical covenant between him and Abraham and then between him and Israel, a vertical covenant. And marriage is, is a uniquely special relationship because it has these vertical and horizontal elements together. Ephesians 5.31, which we read before, says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So the man and woman are united to each other in marriage in a, in a very unique and special way with these horizontal and vertical aspects. And if you're at, if you're at Nat and Megan's wedding last week, you would have seen this um, as you do at most weddings. First of all, Pastor Carl, standing in the place of God, in a sense, was saying to them, will you do this? Will you do that? You know, we've all heard it. And they say yes. They don't say yes to Carl. They're saying yes to God. They're saying yes I promise to God to do these things. Then what do they do? Then turn to each other, say, I, Nat, take you, Megan, to be my lawfully wedded wife, and so on, and the other way around. So then they make the, the horizontal commitment to each other. Horizontal covenant, vertical covenant comes together in the marriage. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And in this in this covenant there's this whole concept of promise and marriage itself is a life that draws on the power of a promise that's what undergirds it is this promise you know we all love wedding days right unless we're the one organizing it but wedding days are great if you're not in that role but you know a lot of effort goes into this day of making promises right all the flowers and the decorations and bridal stuff and all that kind of thing. Lots of work goes into this day of making promises. But what's the nature of promise in itself? The nature of promise is not so much today, but the future, isn't it? That's what a promise is. A promise, uh, more so than the present, has got future implications. The fact that uh, Megan and Nat were there at the front of the altar, we can safely assume their love, right? We can safely assume their romance, their passion for each other, their desire to be together. We can safely assume that because they're there, right? And we can sort of take that for granted. But what the most important thing about the wedding is, is, is the promise of them saying to each other, and guess what, Megan, I'm going to love you in the future. Guess what, Nat, I'm going to love you in the future. That's the essence of it. That's the real strength of it. Because today's pretty easy. We can all live in today. That's pretty easy. But the, the real strength of it is these promises about the future. We're saying before God, we're saying before family, and, and all of us society, we're saying, I love you today, and I'm going to choose to love you in the future, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of how my feelings may change over time, I'm saying I'm going to love you going forward. That's what it's all about. Here's an amazing statistic that you may have, may have heard. And this is, this is Australian. This is pretty much a Western statistic. Do you know that two-thirds of unhappy marriages will become happy within five years if the people stay together and do not divorce? Two-thirds 
of unhappy marriages will become happy if these people stay together. So what keeps you hanging in there through this five years of this spectrum of unhappiness? What keeps you there? The promise, the vow, said, well, I'm going to do it. And even though we don't feel like it, we hang in there and then something happens, something changes within ourselves, of course, usually, and now we find ourselves calling our marriage a happy marriage. Because we've held on to the promise in the midst of difficulty and pain. And that's been the motivation that's kept many couples going when they felt like opting out. And I just came to thought about, I mean, you think about it, but in, in times gone past where there was, it was not so convenient to opt out. You know, something of the pressure of society kept people in, but that stat shows us that was a good thing. Because even though people in that generation too struggled with their marriages, because society sort of pressed them back together, then this stat would have been true for them too. They would have worked through it and they would have come into happiness in more cases than not. Now, we know sometimes a storm doesn't pass and, and even Jesus allowed for divorce in the case of adultery and, and um, willful desertion. Um, but nevertheless, the promise, the upholding the promise still holds true. And if you're a divorced person today and no matter what the circumstances are, we certainly don't judge you here in any sense and that's not our place. And the good news for you is that God is gracious and loving and he's able to restore relationship with him no matter what. So that's, that's good news for you today. But going back to this matter of our vows, if we take them seriously, they can keep us from departing too quickly from our commitment. In marriage, the starting point is not feelings of love, but actions of love that lead to feelings of love. You know, we all love to feel in love. We all love uh, romance and, and passion and loving someone and being loved by somebody. Everybody likes that. But the Bible says it's not just about that. It's not just about feeling. And if the, if the base value of my life is just being feeling happy and excited and thrilled, then I'm going I'm, I'm to fall short of what the expectations of marriage really are. You know, some people do believe that they're, they're primary, primarily on earth to feel happy, to have, a, to have enjoyable time. But it's deeper than that. And if we're led and governed by that, then we're going to struggle in marriage. In fact, I'd go as far to say that a person who thinks that way, they may claim they love somebody, but maybe what they really do is they love the feelings that come from that person. They love the affirmation from that person. They love the, the, the good way that person makes them feel, but maybe not the person. And if that person ever lets them down in regard to the feelings they feel or the affirmation, well, look out. But again, that's not biblical marriage. The only way to function with feelings is to link our feelings to an obligation. I, I liken it to a train. If you see a train and, and, and um, 
the train's got the engine, then there's carriages. For some people, the train is, the, is their feelings. That's what drives their life, feelings. And somewhere down the, in the carriages are, are obligations and my will and my promises and my vows. But feelings drive the train. So what I feel is what I'm going to do, what I want to do. But a biblical perspective is that at the front of the train is, is promises, is vows, is truth, is the right thing. And then our feelings are somewhere along the track. Sometimes the feelings are way back in the caboose, way back in the guard's van. And sometimes they're up close to the front. That's fantastic. But they're not always. And if you're a person who the train of your life, the engine of your life is your feelings, well, I can guess what your life's like. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because we can be governed by truth. We can be governed by, by what God says we should do. We can't be governed by how we feel. That's just all over the place. In John 13, 34, Jesus said, A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Then similarly, the Apostle John said this in 1 John 3, 23, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Commands to love. Notice God didn't say, I command you to like such and such. I command you to like Billy, Fred, Sue. He never said that. Because we can't command emotion. You can't command feeling. That's part of the mystery of love, that we, that we have something rise up inside and we get particularly drawn to an individual. That's not commanded, that's something of our feelings, of our emotions. But Jesus said, I want you to love. I want you to love. God knows that the actions of love will lead to feelings in time, if those feelings are absent at that point. God knows that. If we act in a loving way, then good things will happen. Love begets love. And that's why the Bible says that we can love at all times. We can't like at all times. There's sometimes that if the husbands and wives here would be honest and we, we, we took a, a secret ballot, they would say, yes, there's times I have not liked my husband. There are times I have not liked my wife. I have not felt in love. But nevertheless, I can act in love. I can show love. Amen? So there, in some marriages, and it can be pretty scary, there can be times when the feelings have almost dried up completely. And that's when we need to remember that the essence of marriage is that it's a covenant, it's a commitment, it's a promise of future love. And one of the the exciting and good things about this is even though I, I can seem I'm standing up here and saying, just show love, just show love, just show love, it's not as harsh as that because the Holy Spirit is active in our lives. And God can help us in these things. God is not saying, right, I want you to slavishly show love and it's never going to get any better and it's not going to be any improvement, but I just want you to keep doing the do. No, the Holy Spirit can come in and can transform a marriage, can transform a love and re-beautify it. 
And there's many, many testimonies of how God has done that. When Josie and I went to Haiti, we went there for a two-year commitment. We were there about two months. Now, we'd had a harmonious, very good marriage. Not that it was perfect, not that we'd never had cross words, but our 33 years, whatever, prior to that, 32 years was pretty harmonious. Then we got to Haiti, the boiling pot of Haiti, and after two months, we looked at each other and said, we better go home, this isn't worth our marriage. Because we were in each other's face, what Josie said wasn't right, what I said wasn't right to her, there's all these challenges of helping this person, not helping that person, poverty, disease, pressure, heat, everything that you could imagine to put pressure on a marriage is there. And we literally looked at each other and said, look, we just have to apologise and go home because this is not worth it. And then, then we said, then we agreed together, well, let's, let's try one thing. It's not like we never prayed in our marriage. We prayed every day in our marriage. We prayed for... It, but we said, let's get up every morning, make a coffee, sit down, and let's pray intentionally for our marriage, whether it's 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever, every morning. And we did. Now, when you're in a bit of tension, that's not always a comfortable place to be, right? To sit there with your wife, husband, and pray together and hold hands and pray. pray. That's not necessarily a comfortable place to be. We said, we're going to do it. Apart from my point, I'd be embarrassed to have to go home after I'd made a commitment. But hopefully it was deeper than that. But, um, and we did. And God transformed it. So we not only stayed our time, we overstayed our time by a year. So that was the Holy Spirit. That wasn't credit to us. That was the Holy Spirit came in upon that and really changed the way that we thought, the way we talked to each other. It trans was transformational. So it wasn't just our gritty toothedness. You know, we could have sat and said, no, we're here for two years, let's just do it. Well, we didn't do that. We invited the Holy Spirit in and there was transformation. And the same can be true for all of us. So as I close, and we, we see it on the overhead, let's bring this back to Jesus. Just as Jesus stayed on to, to love us, despite our rejection of him, we should commit ourselves to loving and staying with our spouses through good times and bad. In Ephesians 5 and verse 1 and 2, we read, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Even as Jesus was scorned and despised by the world, he, he still stayed the course and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He continued to serve us. He continued to love us. He continued to die for us without any reciprocation from us, without any good feelings coming back from us. Now, of course, what Jesus has done in that act of saving grace stands separate from everything else. I'm not comparing that to marriage. I'm not comparing that to anything you and I might do. But what it does say in relation to our marriage is it gives us an example. It gives us an example of unselfish love, of unconditional love. It shows us what can be done. It gives us something we can take into our relationships, and in particular our marriage, 
and choose to love no matter what. We can choose right here today. We can choose to think less of what I can get from my relationship and more about what I can give. You see, one is the spirit of the world and one is the spirit of Christ. One causes pain and destruction in relationships and one brings life and lasting joy. Which one will you experience in your marriage and your life? It's up to you. It really is up to you. We invite God to join us in it, but in the end, it's up to you. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for every marriage here in particular today. Lord, there's a whole range, there's a whole spectrum of health regarding marriages today in this place. But Lord, I pray for everyone that Lord, you would put your spirit upon us afresh today. You would enable us, each one, husband and wife, to think more about what we can bring to this marriage and less about what we can take out of it. That, Lord, we'd see ourselves as depositors of love and not just wanting to make withdrawals. So, Father, I pray for everyone here, let's pray for every marriage, that you'd bless us with vitality and life and joy, with romance, with passion. Lord, with feeling for one another, with desire for one another. Lord, for a vision of future, with a commitment to the promises that we made, even though it may have been a long, long time ago. We pray these things, Lord, because you will be glorified in these marriages. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If anyone would like any personal prayer, um, please feel free to come up. Otherwise, let's join some, have some fellowship together. God bless you. Have a great week.